Welcome to All Things Sleep and Parenting. I'm Pam. And I'm Elisa. We are holistic infant and child sleep consultants with a background in early childhood education. And we're the founders of Restful Parenting. And I'm Heidi. I'm also an early childhood educator and the owner of Blossom Early Learning. Join us as we chat all things sleep, parenting, development, and everything in between. Be sure to hit subscribe and share with your friends and family. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's very special episode. We have a special guest this week. We would like to introduce you to Alana Robinson, who is a parenting coach and the CEO of Uncommon Sense Parenting. She's also a registered early childhood educator, a mom of two, and a military wife. Alana supports parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners in understanding why their children are misbehaving, how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. Her mission is to empower parents as the expert on their child and create an inclusive world full of calm, competent, confident kids. Thank you so much, Elena, for joining us today. We're really excited. We have a fun topic that we're going to chat about. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So this week, guys, we are talking about the importance of why children need unsupervised outdoor play. Elisa and I are huge fans of this as our restful parenting, but we are just all over this. So super excited to jump into this. But before we do that, Alana, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be here? Absolutely. So I started out as an early interventionist. I worked for just about a decade. I think I squeaked just slightly short of that with um, kids on the autism spectrum, kids who have Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, blind, deaf, you name it. I've had a client who has that diagnosis, everything from your run-of-the-mill speech delay all the way up to one of my clients is one of three kids in North America with their specific diagnosis. So there's very little that can happen with kids that surprises me anymore. Yeah, I bet. And I loved it. I loved working one-on-one with them. I did play therapy and direct early intervention. I was in their homes with them. I took them to preschool. I took them to swimming lessons, anywhere that typical children would be. The goal was to have these children included in those settings as fully as they could be and have all the support they need to have as close to a typical childhood as they possibly could while learning all of the skills they needed to be successful later on in life. And I loved it. It was so much fun. But then I got pregnant. I got injured very shortly after that. And my agency panicked a little bit. And I specialized particularly in children who had very high needs. They tended to be violent or very aggressive. And my agency panicked a little bit. and was like, nope, this is not a safe thing for a pregnant woman to be doing anymore. And understandably (laughs) put me into a parent coaching role. And at the time I was devastated. I thought I was going to hate it. I remember saying to my husband, this is the end of my career. Like I was so dramatic about it. And (laughs) within a couple of weeks, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Because I very quickly got to see the impact that having parents understand what is going on with their kids had on their child's progress. And the better their parents understood what was going on and what we were doing and the strategies that we were using in therapy, the better they were able to generalize that to when they weren't in therapy and the more progress their children made, the faster. And I got so hooked. Um, I went on maternity leave, I'm in Canada. So we got that nice long maternity leave. And while I was off on maternity leave, there was some restructuring and funding got cut and all that fun bureaucratic stuff that happens in child world. And uh, 
my agency called me up and was like, hey, we have parents who no longer can access parent coaching services through us who are upset about it and they want their parent coaching services and are willing to pay for it privately. Do you want to maybe take this on while you're on maternity leave so that, you know, we can kind of bridge that gap? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do this. And so I kept doing it privately while I was off on maternity leave. And then my husband's in the military, as he said. So we got posted away and my military or my maternity leave came to an end and I just kind of kept doing it. And so now I've been parent coaching for, oh, I guess we're coming up on six years this summer. And I've been running my group coaching program, Parentability for five of those years. And it's the absolute joy of my life. It's amazing. So what you thought was the end of your career was the beginning of your, you know, <laughs> your passion and what you were meant to do. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and that seems to be a theme in my life when I think everything's falling apart, it's just setting things up to be even better. So yeah, I know yeah, sometimes the it's way it works, it seems. <laughs> it's very hard to see that in the moment, but there's always a silver lining and the, the bigger picture. Absolutely. And that's, I think, something a perspective that because I've gone through it it's very helpful to me to be able to empathize with parents who feel like everything's falling apart and mm-hmm. they've made a complete bungle of their kids or whatever it is that they're feeling I get feeling like <laughs> I understand that feeling but it's always the foundation for something better yes absolutely absolutely, absolutely. we're jumping into this topic of unsupervised outdoor play which Elise and I absolutely adore Um, As most of you know, I have four children. Elisa has two. Being in North Bay, I do have a lot more space sometimes. We're a smaller city. So I am all about unsupervised outdoor play. But I really want to dig into all of the benefits of it, the importance of it, and everything that you are passionate about, why children need this for sure. Yay! And yeah, I mean, I feel you. I'm in Petawawa, so I'm not that far from you. And There you go. (laughs) We're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, But most of my career was in Edmonton, which is much more urban. And so I got kind of both sides of the coin in that sense. And yeah, it doesn't matter where you live, you're downtown New York, or you're in the middle of nowhere like me, the kids need outside. Yes, they absolutely do. Even in the winter, do our children need outdoor play? Yeah, and that's hard, right? Because I mean, it gets cold. (laughs) (laughs) really really cold especially like North Bay Petawawa um I don't know where you are Lisa but it's right here in Canada it's frigid to the point where it can actually be dangerous and so we have to find that balance between our kids needing that time outdoors and their physical safety yeah exactly and if you have children like mine they don't love the winter and they don't love being outside in the winter so it does you know, take a little bit of time to get them used to that and getting outside. I'm in Ottawa, so it does get cold here as well. Um, And it's just, you know, some days are just miserable and nobody wants to go outside, but it's so important for everyone. I just, (laughs) I got a dog, I got a puppy, a COVID puppy. um, And this winter has been the first winter that I have actually been outside multiple times a day to walk him because he's part husky and he doesn't care how cold it is out there. (laughs) He needs to be walked and he needs to be walked multiple times a day. So it's just, I did see a difference in myself this winter in just, you know, forcing myself to get out there no matter how cold it was. 
Yeah. And I mean, the same goes for our kids, right? The reason that children need outdoors so much is because it's a perfectly balanced sensory environment. It's not too much. It's not too little. Um, my neighbors kind of rib at me because oftentimes my, I'll send my kids outside and they're, they're like melting down. And they're like, you send them outside and they calm down almost immediately. And I'm like, yeah, it's usually because they're overwhelmed by their senses. And by the time they get outside and they can hear the wind and the trees rustling, all of that overwhelm goes away and then they're able to re-regulate. And so, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, kind neighbors, but here they are. (laughs) At least they don't scream for hours. They might take five minutes to kind of chill out a little bit, but that perfectly balanced sensory environment is something that we don't have inside. It doesn't matter how lovely your indoor space is, it's artificial. We have artificial light, we have artificial air, we have artificial you know, noises going on. And for a lot of kids, their nervous system can't adapt to those artificial inputs the way that it can to the natural inputs of outside. And often the artificial inputs are much more intense than they are outside. So that outside environment is perfectly made for us to regulate our nervous system, which when we're regulated, we're on our best behavior. We're calm, we're alert, we're engaged, we're the best version of ourselves. So true. So what you're saying is that opening the freezer door and sticking our head in it is not going to be the answer when we need some nervous system regulation. It can be for a different reason. (laughs) There is research that shows sudden exposure to extreme cold does kind of shock our vagus nerve into activating. And, but that's another reason why we need outside even in the winter. And but my youngest, he's been going through his limbic leap. He's five now, but he was four when the pandemic hit. And I swear for all of 2020, he'd start melting down. And I was like, put your boots on. We're going outside for a walk. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, it's like minus 32 degrees out. And I'm like, we're not going far. We're not going long, but we're going for a walk. Because he needed that exposure to cold to shock his nervous system into re-regulating. He needed that motor input he needed the proprioceptive input of going for a walk and he needed the co-regulation of walking with me and without having access to that I'm not sure how we would have survived that year because we were didn't have access to any of the other things that he typically finds regulating and I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to it absolutely we were in, in and out of quarantine over and over again was extremely difficult because our kids just didn't have access to those things that were typically helping them regulate, especially kids who are extreme introverts like he is, who get a lot of regulation from interacting with other children. And so it was a very difficult, (laughs) difficult time to be going through a period of development when your brain feels like everything is attacking you. Absolutely. And I can tell you that there have been, you know, sometimes we get into this funk where we're just like, you know, it's the middle of winter and it is miserable sometimes. Um, It's not the middle of winter now, but I'm just talking about those days where sometimes, (laughs) you know, the day was just particularly rough. And I reflect at the end of the day and sit there and think, okay, what went on today? Like, what was that? What happened? And oftentimes the common ground is that we didn't get out or we didn't get out long enough. Yeah. And 
I think a big barrier to getting our kids outside is that for the last decade or so, there's been this intense focus on supervision. Yes. You know, we have to have our eyes glued to our children's bottoms at all times, or you're a neglectful parent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's not so much in Canada, but there have been some incidences as well, where, you know, there's been people, CPS called on families for even just letting their kids play alone in the backyard. And I remember when we were in Edmonton and we lived in a very close neighborhood, moving into our home and knocking on my neighbor's door and being like, hi, we just moved in next door. My son plays outside by himself quite frequently and I'm okay with that. So I just wanted to give you a heads up that if you ever see him doing something dangerous or you think he's not safe, please come to me before calling someone else. And she was kind of like, okay. And I was like, okay, good, we're good, cool. Just wanted to let you know. And you could tell she thought I was kind of crazy, but I had to do that because at the time he was 18 months old. And I knew that if the wrong person saw him playing alone in his backyard, even though it was a fenced backyard, there was nothing dangerous back there for him that someone could take that the wrong way and cause a whole lot of problems for me, even though that was the best thing for him and for me, because I needed that break. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Where I wasn't personally involved in entertaining him. And so there's that kind of ever-present fear, and I hear it a lot from parents, especially in the States, and in more densely populated areas where they're really scared to let their kids go outside and play by themselves because they're afraid that somebody's gonna call the cops on them or that they're going to call child services on them and that they're doing something wrong. And it's given this message to us millennial parent generation that sending your child outside to play is dangerous, which is not the case at all. Right. Now, that was a really great tip about going to your neighbor and just opening that communication with, by the way, Mm -hmm. this is going to be happening. So please let me know. Do you have any other tips for those parents who might feel reluctant to send their children outside to play alone in fear of, you know, something happening to them or like you said, CPS being called or anything like that? Yeah. So the first thing, as you said, is make those connections with your neighbors be the first face that they see because it is a whole lot easier to call the cops on somebody you don't know than it is when you know Jenny down the block is is that kid's mom it feels a lot more icky to call the cops on someone you know even just in passing so go around say hi to your neighbors I like to make up business cards that have my picture, my kids' pictures on the back. So like generally put a family picture on the back and then my name, my children's names and my phone number. And I just say, hey, here's my name, here's my number. If you ever see my children doing something dangerous or that you don't feel as safe or you know something that you are concerned about, please give me a call and give that invitation to make sure that they know they can call you and that you're aware that your kids aren't angels. A lot of parents, especially the older generation, seems to think that millennial parents are kind of snowflakes. And so they're scared <laughs> to call us because they think we're going to go off on them. Yeah. Whereas when you've opened that conversation, you've said, hey, if you ever see something that makes you uncomfortable, give me a shout. You've given them that permission to call you. So that's the first thing. Know your neighbors, even if it's just in passing. Say hi to them over the fence. 
make sure that they've put a face to your children so that they know who they belong to. Right. Um, the second would be that make sure that your environment that you're sending them into is secure as much as it can be. So, you know, if you've got a fenced backyard, awesome. If your children can scale the fence, then make sure that you're <laughs> setting some very firm boundaries. Like my fence in my backyard is only four feet tall. And so my, my youngest was about 18 months when he figured out how to get over that. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a chain link fence and he was like, oh, a ladder. And so, um, but we live very rurally. And even if he gets over the fence, there's really nowhere to go. So yeah. <laughs> it wasn't something that I was too worried about. But once he was able to, I always made sure that I put a personal GPS in his pocket before I sent him outside. It's not nice. 1950, it's not even 1990 anymore. We have tools, we have technology that our parents didn't have to keep our children safe. So we should be using them. And there's a whole bunch of different brands of them. I personally like the Airbolt, um, even an AirTag works really, really well. Like just an Apple, yes. not a GPS, but enough people have iPhones that it's pretty close to it. And so pop something in your kid's pocket so that if you lose track of them, if they get over the fence and make a break for it, you can figure out where they are. I started training both of my children with their GPSs from very, very young. And that allowed me to be able to allow them to like walk down the street and go to the park from about four years old and come back. Now they didn't go for long and usually I was not too far behind them but it allowed them to start having that little bit of freedom and those little tastes of being able to make their own decisions and independence without me having to be like, oh no, someone's gonna snatch them and disappear. Right. So right. use the tools that you have available to you to keep track of your kids. You can find yeah. your keys, you need to be able to find your kids. <laughs> this is true. I like it. <laughs> I like it. So the big piece here, though, is unsupervised versus supervised. So why is the unsupervised part so important to their development, to how they are going to be able to see the world? Children play very differently when an adult is watching them versus when they're doing it by themselves. Children naturally know that we're in charge. We're the higher order brain, and so they'll defer to us. And they will not allow themselves to go into that really deep state of play where they're in flow and their imaginations are running wild and they're doing all kinds of crazy things and thinking up all kinds of scenarios. Because when parents are available, when adults are around, they're anticipating being interrupted. And so they just won't go there and they'll hold themselves back that deep state of flow that they go into, that is where all the learning happens in play. That is where they learn to take turns. It's where they learn to navigate different situations. They dress rehearsal for situations that they've either witnessed before or that they anticipate being in. They problem solve, they learn to share. Like there's all these different interpersonal and cognitive processes that really develop in imaginative play. And if we're sitting there like bumps on a log staring at them, mm -hmm. they're going to be like, hey, what you looking at? <laughs> and never really allowing themselves to fully get into it, which means it's beneficial physically, but it's not really beneficial cognitively. So having that freedom, that illusion of risk is what it's often called, where 
they feel like they're in a more dangerous situation than they actually are. Allows them okay. to take those kind of steps forward that they wouldn't necessarily do if they had an adult hanging over their head like a helicopter. We see children do that all the time where they will kind of get into play and then they'll stop and they'll look at us and then they pull back. And often parents think that's a really good thing. So they're like, ah, they're making a good decision. They stopped themselves. They were like, ooh, mom's not gonna like that. And they didn't do it. Okay, but in that space, they made a decision based off of your needs, not off of theirs. And that space is where the learning happens. When they try something that probably wasn't gonna work out, that's where their development progresses. So we wanna make sure that we're giving them that freedom, that we're not imposing our adult ideas on it and that they're not expecting to be entertained. That's a big one, the expecting to be entertained for sure. Uh, but the one piece that I was gonna to say to that is the parent that sees the child struggling or, oh, why don't you play with it this way? Oh, that's not how you touch that. So that's, we don't play with it this way. So that can be kind of that same side where the child pulls back sometimes, but also that parent is interrupting not allowing them to get to that that space of learning in that play. I love it. And figuring it out and trying something mm -hmm. new. And like my boys will go outside and they'll both pick up a stick and it'll take them five to 10 minutes now. But eventually they're like, okay, I'm this person, you're that person. And they get into a whole like scenario. And I'm like, cool, just no sticking each other in the eye. And... <laughs> and go but if I sit out there and stare at them they're gonna play for a few minutes and then be like can we help you like why are you exactly. looking at us and then they'll they'll either move to a place where they're not in my direct line of vision and it's not because they're doing anything wrong it's just because it feels weird to be watched or they'll put the sticks down because they assume they're doing something wrong and they'll go do something else but all of that learning all of that social negotiation and all of that you know problem solving and back and forth, none of that gets to happen if we're hovering over them. So having that time where they're just free to make decisions, they're free to try things out, they get to just immerse themselves in the outdoors and be inspired by their surroundings. It's so beneficial for their development on every single level. And it's something that our kids aren't getting enough of because they're spending so much time on computers, on iPads, in front of television, where the plot line is being dictated to them. Mm -hmm. And it'll get to use their imagination. Spider-Man and his whole universe in multiple different iterations is there and scripted for them. And if they don't ever get to go outside where none of that is being imposed on them, then they're not going to create their own interpretations of it. They're not going to get to riff off of that. And that, again, is where all that development happens. Absolutely. So true. That war on devices, I tell you. And I mean, I, I speak for myself here when I say my children have spent far mm -hmm. too much time on devices <laughs> recently with COVID and all the like back and forth being at home while I'm trying to work. So it's just yeah, like it, it would make me feel a little better about them having their device time if I knew that they were playing outside as well. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, mine too. My kids, during the height of the pandemic, my kids were getting like six hours of screen time a day. 
because we live in Canada. It was freaking cold. And <laughs> yes. there was nothing else to do. There was nowhere else to go. We were home and I had to work. Exactly. So, <laughs> and I couldn't have like the war of the worlds going on in the next room while I was working. <laughs> right? So, exactly. So I had, there were periods of time where they needed to be quiet and they needed them to be quiet and not near me. And so devices were it. And, but the general consensus is that children actually need upwards of eight hours a day outside. Wow. I don't think any child on the face of the planet, at least not in the first world, is getting access to at this point. So I always try and balance it one for one. If my children Mm -hmm. are getting an hour of screen time, then you got to play outside for an hour. And that's worked very well for us. And it's made it so that my children are able to transition between those two without feeling that they're being deprived. Right. That's great. And, And that gives parents as well that healthy balance of, you know, let's say you've, you're doing no outdoor time or no unsupervised outdoor time, knowing that you don't just have to like start big. You can, you can start with a lower number and then build up to that. Absolutely. And that's how I recommend parents introduce. And if your child has never played outside by themselves and you just dump them outside and say, go play, they're going (laughs) to freak out because that's not going to feel safe to them. They've never done it before. And they're going to be like, well, no, 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 no. You, you need to come with me. This is not okay. And so they won't do anything. So I always recommend to parents, especially if you've got like really little ones, like two, three years old, send them outside for 10 minutes, set a timer. I've got visual timers here. Love it. And set a timer. Say you're going to go outside for 10 minutes and then mommy's going to come join you. Send, it's okay if they sit there and twiddle their thumbs or scream or just stare at the wall for the 10 minutes. But what you're communicating to them is you are safe outside. This is an okay thing to do. And then as they get comfortable, maybe they start, you know, you send them outside for their 10 minutes and they go out and they play and you go out and check on them, play with them for 10 minutes and you go back inside. As they get more comfortable with that, then you can start lengthening it out to 20 minutes and then 30. And before you know it, you've got an hour of outdoor playtime where you can be like, okay, get and out they go. Out you go. (laughs) And then you have a full hour where you can like, pee uninterrupted or eat a sandwich or do the dishes or just stare at the window at them. Like that time is good for their mental health and for ours. Yeah. I love it here. (laughs) It is being able to have that time even for ourselves throughout the day to be able to separate decompress is just so important. And they get that fresh air that they need as well. Yeah, it's not normal for us to be so with our kids. And I think that's another kind of like distortion that's happened in parenting. Yes. Over the last 20-ish years, it appears, where there's this expectation that we were always in our kids' grill and we're always engaged with them. And I know exactly where it comes from because there was this study done in the 60s by Adele Diamond, who is a leading neuroresearcher. I think she's actually a professor at UBC right now. And she did a research study in the 60s on rats. And she was studying the effect of unfettered play on rats and on their brains. But it was the 60s and she was a woman scientist and she was getting made fun of as being the girl who plays with rats. 
And so when she published her study about the effects of play on brain development, she switched out the word play for engagement. And nobody knows this study when you talk to you know, anyone on the street, they've never heard of it, but we all know the effect of it because it sparked the whole, you have to be engaged with your kids to make them be smart mm. thing that has come on since the nineties because it takes that long for science to trickle down to the mainstream. <laughs> yes. And so once people got this idea in their head that they had to be engaged with their children in order to make them smart, they were afraid to do anything else. And so we've gotten into this really toxic habit of you have to constantly be interacting with our kids or else they're going to be stupid. Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents, when I talk to them and I'm like, okay, like just give them, start with 10 minutes, send them outside, and then you can go and join them. They're like, well, what are they going to do? They'll be bored. They don't, what are they going to do? They'll figure it out. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to be the one entertaining them or engaging them all the time. It's really important that children have that downtime because that's when the brain kind of processes things and figures things out. And that's why, again, having that unsupervised playtime where they can recreate a situation that happened to preschool and play through it in the world of the imaginary is so important because that's how they make sense of the world. Absolutely. And we work with amazing points. We work with many parents as well who are afraid to have that independent playtime because they feel like, just like what you said, it's their job to entertain their children all the time. Otherwise they're neglecting them. They're, you know, like you said, they're not going to grow up and and be smart or whatnot. (laughs) But yes, it has become something that a lot of families feel like they need to be right there all the time. So I love that you share that view of, you know, not having to be there all the time and, and be engaged in their play at every minute during the day and that they need that time to be independent. So for everybody listening, if you are feeling guilty about having that little bit of separated time from your child, Alina and Elisa and I have all said that this is really good. You have to do it. Give them that space to learn. Yes, it's so important. And I saw this, like when my own kids were little, they would have friends come over to play. And I made a rule very early on, like no battery operated toys in my house. One, because I get migraines and I couldn't deal with the noise. But two, because as a registered early childhood educator, I know that the most valuable play is the play that is initiated by the child, not the toy. And so it was just the easiest way to get rid of that problem is to get rid of the batteries. And we'd have kids come over for play dates and they wouldn't know what to do. We have a room busting with toys and they'd be like, where are all the toys in this room? (laughs) In the backyard, like, (laughs) and they didn't know how to play. They didn't know what to do. And people will always comment about, and my oldest is eight now. They'll say like, he's so good. Like you can take your kids anywhere and they don't need toys. They just like, they pick up a stick or We were at a friend's house the other day. They found a couple empty toilet paper rolls and the two of them had made them into superheroes and were playing with them within minutes. And she was like, I've never seen kids who can just pick up literally anything and play. And I was like, because they've had lots of practice at it because I haven't Mm -hmm. entertained them because they know I'm not going to entertain them. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not an expectation for them. They're not sitting around waiting for something to stimulate them they go and they create their own stimulation. I like the way that you said they've had a lot of practice. 
It's not because I do what I'm doing and that my kids are perfect and they've had oh. practice. I've implemented these things from the very beginning with our children. Elisa and I, the same thing with sleep and our parenting stuff. We've implemented this. So it's not a magic fix. No. It's a, we work on this. We practice, we practice, we practice, try, try, try again. If that first 10 minutes doesn't go well, you're not just like, okay, done. Sorry, bunch of luck. We're never trying that again. We're going to keep trying and keep doing it. Absolutely. Practice makes perfect is a cliche because it's true. Yes. And that's Awful. true. Everything with child development, the more that children do something, the safer it feels, the more proficient they get at it, the more competent they get at it, and then the better they get at it. And that's how we grow synapses. That's how we create habits. So yeah, as you said, a lot of parents will try something once and be like, oh, that didn't go as planned. So we're not going to do that again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it didn't go as planned. Why? Let's look at why it didn't go as planned. Was it a big deal that it didn't go as planned? How can mm -hmm. we change what we did, either how we presented it or the length of time or all these different factors that pull into what made that a disaster? And then let's tweak those things and try again, because your children aren't going to develop these skills out of the ether. They're not something exactly. that they were just born with. It's not something that they're just going to watch someone do once and be like, okay, I can do that. They need to practice it. Children learn by doing, not by watching, not by being spoken to. They learn by actively participating. And without that active participation, the brain just doesn't develop that habit, that skill. Love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. This has been such a great conversation, Elena. We can't thank you enough for joining us. So Alana, if parents are looking for some parenting support and guidance and they want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Parenting Posse. On Facebook, the Parenting Posse with Alana Robinson is my peer support free Facebook group. We have over 10,000 parents in it who are there. We're all collaborating on figuring out what is stressing out our kids and how to fix it. And if you want a little bit more hand-holding personal support, you can find me at alanarobinson.com. I have a free workshop you can go through, and that leads right into my parentability program, where I will personally support you through figuring out what stressors are impacting your child, what skills are weak, and how we can build those up so that you can have calm, confident, competent kids. Amazing. Amazing. We're going to put all of those links in the description below. So if anybody's looking for help, they will be able to find it easy peasy. Yes. And it's just amazing to know where that support is for parents who are struggling mm -hmm. or just want a little bit more knowledge. Yeah. Most of my clients fall into what I call the gap. Their children are difficult, you know, the quote unquote difficult kids, the high needs kids, but they also don't qualify for a diagnosis. And so most of them have spoken to a couple therapists, they've been to a doctor and they've just been told to parent better. And they're like, well, if I knew what that mm -hmm. meant, I would already be doing it. <laughs> so um, most of our, our group members are those parents who their kids fall into the gap and they're building the ladder to get out of the gap one step at a time. Well, with your guidance and support, amazing. It's so good that they have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We so appreciate that you've taken that time to come and hang out with us and listen to what we have to say. 
if you are struggling with sleep or parenting, please know that we have loads of free information on the website um, as well as on the YouTube channel. But if after you've read through everything and you've watched those videos, if you're still struggling, know that you're not alone and that we would love to help. So be sure to check out the website, www.restfulparenting.com. You'll find the link to book your free 15-minute call right there. And if you have any comments or anything you'd like to share with us, please leave them below in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks.